Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. Today's episode is sponsored by the Capital Employed podcast. The Capital Employed podcast is a great resource to learn about investment funds, companies, industries, and for finding new investment ideas. Each week, the host talks to renowned equity investors, both professional and private, about their favorite stocks. So if you're seeking new investment ideas, we suggest you search for Capital Employed Podcast on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. That's the Capital Employed Podcast, available on all major podcast platforms, like the one you're using now. More information can be found at capitalemployed.fm. That's capitalemployed.fm. And our very special guest is Sean Walsh. Sean is a lockdown skeptic, a former university teacher, He completed a PhD in the philosophy of the mind at the University of Liverpool and then vanished into a wine bottle for a couple of decades. He's been both street and hostel homeless, for which he is grateful, and now writes for Samizdat magazine and anyone else stupid enough to pay him, apparently. Sean Walsh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's an absolute pleasure. Um, So, life for you has been a contrast can you tell us a bit about that? Because I think some of your experiences are ones that not many people have been through. And it seems that uh, you're in a, a very good place now, but that wasn't necessarily the case. No, um, I was very, very lucky to be born into a very loving Liverpool Irish Catholic family. Um, I did well at school. I became an academic and then fell into a wine bottle for a couple of decades, got out of the wine bottle, realized the damage I'd done, and had to recover from that. Um, And um, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Is the first first step of that actually identifying that you have a problem? Because, uh, you know, it's from what I understand, it's, um, that's the hardest thing to admit like when i used to smoke i know it's not as as um uh, as egregious as 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 drink but you know i i would say oh i I just can't stop it's just kind of the thing that i do and i make excuses for it It the first line of uh, step one of the recovery program for alcoholics anonymous is that uh, we admitted we had a problem but i don't want to i I don't want to depress your um (laughs) your listeners i mean life's been absolutely brilliant um, and um, I have a great life at the moment, partly because of the writing and stuff, and because I get to do stuff like this. I, I think um, I think my, it's my interesting. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say I, I do think people would be interested in this stuff because if life goes the wrong way for some people, we're not any of us are not that far away from that happening to us. So it's it's something. Yeah, he was without sin cast the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I agree. Um, I think there are some specific things about the nature of addiction, which means that some people are more disposed towards it than others. I also think I was sorry, very... Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to cut in, Sean. Could you just expand on that? Because I, I mean, as someone, I, as someone who, let's say, enjoys a pint now and again, yeah. um, I'd be interested to, to hear, you know, you, you just develop that, develop that, uh, that theme in terms of um, the nature of addiction and perhaps people's pre- predisposition towards it. Yeah, it's something I've been writing about recently, actually. I want to do a book on it. Um, I think there is something 
very, very specific about the nature of alcoholism and addiction in general, which is, it's, it's not just that you drink too much. It's not something that you can acquire. It's something that's in you from birth. Original sin. I, I think that's a good way of putting it. And, and, and the actual recovery program of AA is very, very religious in the way it sets it out. Um, so there's interesting points to be made there. Um, you know, I, I don't think I don't think you become an alcoholic by drinking too much. I think yeah. there's a disposition in you towards it. Did you know that people have a what's called a risk-taking gene? Like some people are actually more risk prone to risk. They want to take more risks. It's just part of their makeup, and they can't help it. Doesn't surprise me. When I, I mean, when I found that out, it was. I thought it's it's about I think about twenty percent of people have they they're just more prone to taking risks. They will gamble more. They will you know do riskier things. Uh, I suppose adrenaline junkies, etc. Like like that. It's just within there. I, I I used to know this guy who was a he was a lawyer and you know very well to do and and he said he was a cage fighter as well. And I thought, that's, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Um, you think he got what? his number. I, I, could, I, could do, I could do his some yeah. help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did, I'm still, I'm, I'm still on the cage of Virgin Media, so. <laughs> and I just thought, well, why would you? A cage fighting lawyer might be exactly what the doctor ordered. I, I, incredible guy. And, and I just thought, this is, this is amazing. And um, why, why would you? Why would you do it? And it's like, why would you even go in the ring for a start? But of course... You know, I'm not him. I'm not his genes. And, and there's obviously something that's driving him to do more than his normal job to actually put himself at risk. And, and I think you're absolutely right. People are predisposed. And we, we just don't understand enough about this. And it's very easy I, just to blame the person and say, oh, you know, you just need to stop and pull yourself together. Well, it's not well, as simple as that. No, it's not, Paul. And the interesting thing about the recovery program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program, as they call it, is that you are required every single day to take responsibility for everything that you do. So it's not a get-out-of-jail-free thing. It's that, uh, yes, you're an alcoholic. Yes, this is a sickness. But also, you have to work through the sickness. And you're held to account by your sponsor, by the program itself, every single day. It's a program of responsibility. And it's a kind of, if you like, um, not condensation, but... A, that whole free will versus responsibility thing. Mm. Yeah, we're free, but we're also responsible. And um, the, you know, the twelve-step recovery program of AA is a kind of distillation of that. Yeah, okay, you've got a problem, but you're responsible for sorting it out. How does the the sponsorship aspect work? How how does one how does one become a sponsor? How is one invited to become a sponsor? Asked to become a sponsor? What's the dynamic there between the, the person who's on the program and the person who becomes, like a, I guess, a mentor of sorts? I prayed for one, and he turned up. Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably as simple as that. My, my sponsor um, is a guy who um, you would not put him together with me. Yeah. He's not so it, was, it wasn't a pre-existing relationship. It was, it was no. out of the blue. Um. Well, not out of the blue, but it wasn't pre-existing. It wasn't a pre-existing relationship, okay. Were you religious before you were on the program, or was it subsequent to... It was latent. Right. I had a latent, you know, religious impulse. Um, 
we're getting very deep very early here. We, we? Yeah. We, we don't we don't mess around, Sean. Really. Like, yeah. you know, you're a big man, but you're out of shape and we do this for a living. So, um, <laughs> okay. We've got to get Carter already. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, there'll be plenty more. Don't trust trust us. Um uh, one question I, I, I immediately feel seized to ask. Um, I, I previously nurtured few religious convictions. So I like to think moral um, biases or moral um, precepts. But the events of the last 12 months have made me think a lot more spiritually about the world. Does that, does that strike a chord with your own experience? Hang on, my computer just made a noise. Don't know if you heard that. No. Okay, no worries. Um, how do you mean? Um, I think about the world more spiritually now. I think that uh, having, having had no specific, strong religious convictions coming up to 2019, 2020, I now view the world in a much more spiritual way. I think that what is happening in the world is absolutely about a fight between good and evil in a way yes, that i agree with that yeah before. absolutely i agree with that and it i went I, I mean i was street homeless from 2015 to february 2016 and then i was hostile homeless in salisbury and i developed a faith in that hostel and i was received into because yeah i was received into the catholic church Easter 2016, and I came out, it was Easter Saturday, which is where they do the confirmations, and um, I came out of that, at the church that evening, St. Osmond's in Salisbury, and the world just looked different to me. It just looked different. Everything looked different. It was like uh, God had touched me. And um, I'm lucky enough that I still look at the world that way. Um... Does that answer your point? It, do, it, it does. What I, I'd expand in, in terms of, let's say, getting closer to ground that uh, our listeners probably are more more comfortable with, which is something relating to the economy, to the, the financial markets, and and so on. What do you, th- if you have a view on this at all, what do you think is going on in the world um, in, in relation to COVID to financial matters financial matters corporate matters governmental i mean it's a big question i concede but what do you think is going on in the world i mean I have, I have a view but I'll, I'll i'll let you expand first i think um well i'm a lockdown skeptic i mean i write for toby and for other people um my views are out there i think that 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 um the virus is the excuse for the vaccine, and the vaccine's the excuse for data harvesting and for basically a, um, a fascistic, technocratic state. That's my view. I realise that that's um, fairly hardcore, but that's I don't see any other explanation for what's going on. Well, it's, not, it's, not hard, it's not hardcore for me. I don't know, whether, I don't know how you'd respond to that, uh, Paul. Uh, I, I think that... Um it's uh, it's something that needs to be fully investigated because it certainly looks suspicious. And I like to try and question everything, even my own views. And the the truth comes from asking the right questions. And we're asking the questions, what is it about 
the response to this particular pandemic that has been different to previous pandemics. Assuming it is even a pandemic. Um, a- assuming that it is, and um, that 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 now has got us in a position where we say in the UK have got very low numbers of everything, thank goodness. Um, but we still have COVID passports. So uh, uh, we, we can't go on holiday or move freely without some form of technical control. But we can apparently, can apparently hug um, loved ones within a few days. So hooray for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, fully vaccinated people, two fully vaccinated people were not allowed to hug beforehand. Um, and so I mean, we'll this, this to- gets the absurdity of it, doesn't it? I mean, I, I have my, my own views on this, but I, I would give credit to my colleague Killian Connolly at, at, at my business who says, look, this is it, whatever else is going on, this is just a manifestation of the big state getting even bigger and even more outrageous. So I, I guess for me, the, the insight of the last <clears throat> 10 years, certainly since Brexit, if not before, was there is no left and no right anymore. It is it, the, the whole political debate, I would suggest, has to be framed in one question, which is, do you believe in the individual or do you believe in an overpowering state? I agree. I, I would say, to just to counter slightly, that in a pandemic, and I'm not necessarily saying that this one, but I'm saying in a pandemic, you do need a government because you, you can't have individuals just doing what the hell they want if it were a dangerous virus. But the, I'd also- fear, the fear I, I would have, and I'm obviously happy to bounce this to Sean, is that the government has created this so-called pandemic, and that's the problem, that we're in a, a really weird situation, which I, don't, I doubt has ever happened before in the world, which is, I mean, let's not put too, you know, a too fine a point on it. We're at war with our own government. Our own government is gaslighting us. Yes, I agree. And I think there are two versions of lockdown scepticism as well. I think there's the one which is the easy one, which, you know, I hesitate to say this because I like him, which is the Toby Young version, which is we just analyze the data. We look at what the data tells us. And uh, does the data tell us, tell us that lockdown works? We're not sure, not sure, but whatever. But then I suppose there's, there's the uh, James Delipong version, which is the one I subscribe to, which is and, and I screw, would to, screw I, the I, data. I, yeah, I would, the have, data. I would have to throw my hat in that ring too. I have Screw to the confess. data. They're wrong anyway. Mm. Lockdowns are wrong anyway. They're intrinsically wrong. Mm. And I think that the... I've, I've said this to Toby, actually, in email. and um, Anyway, we won't go through that. But uh, I think a lot of lockdown sceptics are playing the wrong game here because they've accepted the terms of reference of the data and they're playing data tennis. So they're, the, playing the, they're playing the wrong game by somebody else's yeah, rules. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think Dellingpole is probably the only out there journalist who's got it. I think I don't see anyone else out there who has. So if, um, if we were in a position where COVID like literally just basically becomes a latent problem and... Like all uh, the other coronaviruses have become. Like life. Yeah. Life. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like so, life, you know, life mm-hmm. Life is full of risk. And yeah, so it should, it should be. Sure, sure. Absolutely. No, no one's saying it, it, it shouldn't be. Um, but or, or, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that what would appease you going forward? Would it be um, if we had a situation where COVID goes away and the, say, the, 
the vaccine passports go away as well and nobody needs to use them and, and everybody's life goes back to normal. Is that, and you're allowed to, you know, it was like pre-2020. Uh, Paul, you're offering me a question in terms I, you know, framed in terms I'm not happy with. I mean, sure. I, I, well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to assess my life in terms of risk, or in terms of whether I catch a disease or not. I just want to assess my life. I don't want to assess my life. I want to live it. And what this government's done over the last twelve months is to inculcate in everybody the idea that they have to not even not even assess their own personal risk but to buy into a risk that the government has decided for them. And that, the, to me, is deeply, deeply evil. The creepy, the creepy thing about this, though, is that it's not just our government. Our government does seem to have been one of the most egregious in basically being fascistically evil and awful. But that's not to say that half of the Western world hasn't gone down the same path. So that's, that's what the reason why... I personally feel more than usually concerned about these developments, which is this this has the feel of being coordinated. This isn't random. And the the the, mm. the, 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 the question we've asked probably every guest that we've had on um, for the last six to nine months is cock up or conspiracy. And up until quite recently, the probably the prevailing response was it's probably cock up. Mm. Now I think it's both. Personally, I think it's both. It's it, it, what, the, how would it look different between the two? Well, can I answer that? Sure. I mean, a year ago, I would have said, and I wrote about this in, for a magazine called The Article, that what was happening was that there was. Um, an accelerating tendency of authoritarianism within the government and the government just got addicted to power and that's what was going on and i thought that explained it you know they they the government was treating the rest of us like a child and the way you treat a child is to see whether they put uh, hang on i got that the wrong way around the government was treating us and setting what our boundaries are and we didn't push back against the government so they got more and more authoritarian. Give, give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Basically that. In, in, in what you know, way? Uh, in what well, way were they doing that? that, that well, I, don't, I, I, I don't think the government, I don't think, you know, when they said to people, put a mask on in public or put a mask on in shops, I mean, I was astonished that people did that. But the government was able to get away with it simply because they said it. Like, you know, at the time we didn't know, or it wasn't widely known. And well, we let, did by the time of the masks. Well, so we, we didn't, we did, but we didn't. Okay. Just finish my point. Um, now, I think, so hang on. I used to think that this was probably just a developing authoritarianism at the heart of government. They got addicted to power. But now I'm more along the Dellingpole line, which is that this is looking more and more sinister. And if you apply Occam's razor, then the coordination of what's going on between different countries, the same language is being used. It's build, back, build back better. Yeah, it's not just that. It's, it's just kind of um, vaccinations are the way out. Mm. Everyone's vaccinated. Vaccinations are forgotten about. It's... It, so I'm, I'm beginning to think that maybe there's something more sinister going on. I did, I did not think that a year ago. 
But if, if let's say there was a disease out there that wearing a mask would protect you and other people from spreading, wouldn't that be something that could be worth considering? I mean, it's no. not... So you'd rather just spread the disease? Well, there's no evidence. There's no empirical evidence for what you're saying. But also, I think you, you have to take into account that when you put a mask on in public, you're cancelling your identity in public. Well, no, no, no. You see, you are, you are doing damage to every single... Well, yeah, well, 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 hang, hang, hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. That's not... There's the medical efficacy of that, masks. That, there's a symbolic... Uh, importance of masks. Yes, but that wasn't the question I asked. I said if the mask worked, and we didn't know, probably know works I, means in that. Well, well, I think to be fair, the guys in the Californian um, uh, first uh, emergency response, these are guys who got like four million views on YouTube before they were rudiment rudimentarily cancelled, as is as is the way of big media and big tech. They said. Uh, well, we're giving this press conference. We're not wearing masks because we understand how virology works and we understand how immunology works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, that, the idea that the idea that a cotton mask can protect you—it's like it's it, protecting you from the virus—is like saying, uh, "Yeah, this chain link fence is going to repel these grains of sand you're throwing through it." It's it's bollocks. Tim, but, I don't even care about that. I'm going to say now, even if it could be proven that it restricts the spread of the virus, I think wearing a mask in public is immoral. I think it is wrong to cancel yourself in public. There is something about the human face, which means that if you cover yourself up in public, you're making a huge moral statement. One, one thing I, I, I noticed earlier, because I was watching a bit of the coverage of the Queen's Address to Parliament, and I noticed that nearly everybody involved was wearing a black mask. If you wanted to creep out everybody by making it look as if the administration was demonic, not a bad way to start. No. No. No, I agree. I, I wrote a piece about this for Conservatives Global last year when I said that the cancellation of the face in public is seriously wrong. Roger Scruton, in his book, The Soul of the World, um, God bless him, he didn't live to see this nonsense that we're going through now, but he writes about the metaphysics of the human face. There is something about the human face which is essential to the disclosure of the human soul. And when you put a mask on, you are concealing and cancelling your identity. And that has to have huge uh, repercussions for, for society. Even if those repercussions cannot be calculated and put on a government slide, they are real. I don't know if, if either of you guys have seen it, but there's a piece uh, by Dr. Mike Eden in Conservative Woman, uh, which I think was published yesterday. So we're recording this on Tuesday, the 11th of May. So I think it was published on the 10th of May. Uh, it's a complete barnstormer. He's, he's yeah. not taking any prisoners. And what one of the things he addresses, and this is a guy who's far more medically competent and technically adept than I am to opine on these matters. He says, the masks are complete nonsense. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things he says are nonsense, but the mask is only one of them en passant. And yeah. there's a, there's a, I, I think I made a tweet earlier, which is along the lines of, um, something like, if, if you want to know why the mainstream media is not reporting on the biggest crime in human history, it's because they're complicit. Mm -hmm. Mic drop. I agree. So you, you, you kind of wonder, the, the, the reason I, one of the reasons I, I, I mention um, Mike Eden is because he, he has been consistently for 
the best part of a year, to my knowledge, has been consistently an outlier and a, let's call it a lockdown skeptic, for want of a better phrase. And he's been ostracized and cancelled by the big tech mainstream media. And if if and that's that that's perhaps the creepiest manifestation of what's going on, which is I don't know who to trust anymore. I don't know. I don't. Know, I don't know if there's any entity within the UK establishment I can trust now. It is cre- creepy. Doesn't doesn't even doesn't even get to first base to describe this. Tim, can I agree with you and disagree with you at the same time? By all means, that's the kind of show we run here, sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously, Mike Yeadon is a. He used to work for Pfizer, didn't he? And you I know, think I, so, yeah. I, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I read his stuff, and I, I know he was cancelled on Twitter, and his. Um, scientific take on this looks to me to be impeccable mm. um and he's outside the scientific establishment so therefore i believe he's a, he's a free man amongst slaves effectively yeah. even if he's wrong even if he's wrong i don't care because i don't want to assess this debate in those terms i don't want to assess this debate in terms of data tennis i don't care whether lockdowns work or not with work in inverted commas there mm. i don't care about that because how do you assess that there are certain harms and benefits to the human condition which cannot be put on a slide. You know, I, I, I'm a single parent to an 11-year-old boy. Now, during the first lockdown, there was stuff going on with him, which, you know, there was, because his relationships with his friends, they were cancelled. You know, there was, there was stuff going on that you could not quantify, but that they were harms, and they were real, real harms. Harms of the sort that the likes of Chris Whitty could not put on a, you know, in, in on a, a spreadsheet. Exactly. But they're real harms, but they're invisible harms. So I do not want to assess lockdown in terms of some sort of grubby utilitarian calculus. I think they are intrinsically immoral. Even if they work, if by work he means containing the virus, I don't care. I think they're wrong. And I'll justify that, you know, on Anyway, have I just there's, been a bit outlandish? There's, there's no, there's, there's, there's no, to my knowledge, there's no, our friend Ronan there's no precedent says that, for it. Our, our friend Ronan says they're batshit crazy. Mm. <laughs> I, think he's being, I think he's being overly polite. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think my point is that um, we've accepted, most lockdown sceptics, um, terms of engagement that we should reject it at the start. Every time, you know, those Downing Street briefings, I wish someone had said, I don't care what your slide says. What you're doing is engendering forms of harm that cannot be put on a slide to do with our children, to do with our mental health, to do, I mean, the attack on the churches for a start. I mean, the attack on hospitality. You know, they were attempted to crush joy and crush free worship. And it's... To me, it was obscene. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think you can get. Well, I was going to say you don't think you can get. I don't think you can get worse than uh, a street preacher being arrested simply for preaching from the Bible. But then I, I refer to the the guy. I think it's is it in Calgary, Polish yeah. pastor. That's that. That basically the, SWAT uh, the last team time took I saw him out. Was, yeah, exactly. Was was forcibly arrested by gunpoint. Yeah. And for encouraging. This, for inciting people to go to church. This is you know. Canada has, has just, just sunk below the abyss. But we're the same here, Tim. 
I had to go to mass yesterday, well, the day before yesterday. I only went because I had to read. Um, in fact, I, I postponed our conference call, didn't I, for that reason. And I hate going there now because people, I look at the parishioners, they're all masked up in church. I look at them, I think, what are you playing at? You're wearing a mask in Lambs to the slaughter. Well, it's not just that. It's, you know, you're, you're putting a mask on in the presence of the Lord, which is essentially rude as far as I'm, you know. How, how, how's, your, how's your lockdown been, Paul? Because you, 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 um, you have kids. I don't. There's a reason I ask is I don't. So, the, what, what, Sean, what, what's your sense in terms of the, the, you know, whether the centre can hold or not, just in the context of the UK? My sense is that we're increasingly, forget the fact that we're slowly reopening so we can now hug people. Like, like that was ever the job of the government to uh, opine about in the first place. Um, my sense is that if, if, if our political quote leaders and quote aren't careful, there's going to be massive civil disobedience over the next few months. Yeah, I wish you were right. Um, um, I, I, I've seen your tweets, Tim. I think you're a bit more optimistic than I am. I'll just oh, say one. My th- goodness me! That, can't argue that, with a confident man, Sean. That, that's a no, worry I, if 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 Tim's tweets are quite optimistic. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Tim thinks that there's a, a a kind of Hegelian direction going on in which uh, the people will up, you know, in, in which people like Johnson are going to end up in a Nuremberg trial. Am I am I right, Tim? That's kind. Of... It's a hope. It's, it's a hope rather right. than expectation. Can I just say one thing about what Johnson said about uh, lockdowns? There, there's another interpretation, and this might be a bit um, too fair to him, that maybe he was saying that because he knew that when the restrictions were eased, the infection rates would go up. And so therefore he was saying infection rates will go up when lockdown is eased. So he wasn't necessarily saying lockdown is the only weapon we have. Now, I'm, I'm not disposed to give Johnson the benefit of the doubt, but that is one interpretation that. That you could put on that. Yeah, I, um, mean, I, I, but, I, hear, I hear others as well. And like, for example, you know, because I know people who, who totally agree with what the government are doing, think they're doing a, a good job in, a, in difficult circumstances to you, give it you have, their, do you have their names and addresses? Well, <laughs> okay. Post, well, post, them, post them in the show notes. So, 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 the, so the alternative view to what he said was that he didn't want to get people let people be complacent about how things have worked and all the good work could be undone if, if everybody just sort of suddenly thought everything was okay. So yeah. it's, it's interesting how you get different perspectives. You, you see well, some, you see some of the comments on the BBC. Some people think that, you know, they're, they're completely, BBC, su- what's that, what's that they're completely supporting the government and doing everything the government say and on, are on the government side. Some people think that, that they're exaggerating the numbers in terms of them being, t- they're actually much, much higher and they're not telling us the truth that way. So it's really interesting that when you start to read other people's comments, how they interpret stuff. And that that's why I try to question my own because I think, well, you know, they feel very, very strongly about that. And that to me seems wrong. So, you know, you sort well, of well, question. I was, yeah. I was trying to say something nice about Johnson just so I could then in the next paragraph put the boot in. Well, go for it. <laughs> And say that he's most authoritarian, preapic, immoral, um, mendacious, um, buffoon. Yeah, we well give him buffoon, um, under the thumb, 
idiot that we've ever had in, in who has who's ever had any authority over what I do. I mean, th- this guy who can't keep it in his pants is presuming to tell me who I can and cannot hug. Mm. The, the, the whole the whole situation is ridiculous. Well, that may be because he wants those dibs. But but I am not as angry with Johnson as I am with the general public for going along with it and not turning around and saying piss off. The that that's the thing that I I guess for for me the whole thing is summed up in this in this phrase that if you want to know where you would have stood in 1930s Germany now you've got a great way of finding out and the, and the sad reality is that everyone says oh well. You know, if I'd been there, I would have been in the resistance. Well, no, you bloody wouldn't have. You would have gone along with it like everybody else, you sheep. So that that's the that's the crushing thing about this. Is to use a to use a phrase that the, the the Karen population is outnumbers everybody else. Yeah, I have one friend. I have one friend, Tim, um, an East End guy called Terry, who will never ever wear a mask. Ever. Good for him. No, and he's better than me. Because if I go to Sainsbury's, I have the lanyard on with the mask, mask mm. exempt thing. But he, he doesn't even go that far. No, he doesn't. No. But <laughs> you, you know, I, 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 a, a, an author that both Tim and I respect is Yuval Noah Harari. And yeah. if you read his, if you've read his books, I don't know if you have, but I've, you, I've read the, I've read the Sapiens. One. Sapiens. Sa- Sapiens is just fantastic. Yeah. So if you've read his work and his more recent work, Homo Deus, um, what he says is that. Unfortunately, the libertarian view is is nice, but it's not one that that can work with the population. The way we, it's not, it's we, not popular. It's not popular. People it, well, for whatever reason. It's not. Prefer, it's prefer not any state it, it, over it, self uh, ex- expression it, and uh, independence. It's not what, individual independence. That's not what he means. I mean, because he he was talking about the pandemic of. You know the nineteen what what was it nineteen thirteen or whatever the the Spanish the Spanish, the Spanish flu. flu the so the Spanish yeah. flu so he was saying back then nineteen 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 so the nineteen nineteen Spanish flu he was saying uh, the government had they, they were just completely inept they didn't know what they were dealing with they didn't have the technology and and therefore it ran wild and that you know it was a dangerous flu as well on top of that because it was killing young people as well as old and it, it it didn't seem to discriminate if you were in good shape or not um, one thing they did get right was they put people outside so they could benefit from the natural um benefits of sunlight so so his view was as that, opposed to shoving everybody indoors for no good reason whatsoever completely all against the, all, all medical all, practice all the extermination camps formerly known as care homes yeah sorry was that a bit up uh, no bit, no no <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Go on. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I was just making that point. So I, I don't suppose it's. Um, I don't. I don't think you're. It's going to make any difference. But I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to give you what a very I, well respected. What, what? Hang on, Tim. Can I just finish what I'm saying? No, no. I'm no, just no, trying. So I have to cut it. I have I, to, you know, okay. I have go to on then. On my own. It, no, no. Go on. I. 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 Uh, Paul, so you were in favour of all three lockdowns, yeah? No, no, I didn't say that. No, I know, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, no, I, no, I wasn't. Um, but that's that's not the point. What I'm trying to say is that it is not a question of... I, I think the way this has been handled has been wrong, but I also right. think that there is... 
if this was as dangerous as Ebola and wearing a mask would stop people dying and it was 10% of the population that were dying and all you had to do to stop it was to wear a mask, I think it would be kind of crazy not to do that just for the sake of wanting to show your face. Now, no, that's just that's, my view. That's just no, my no, view. No, that, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I mean, I, I can make these these points about, you know, you know the cancellation of, the face in public as being metaphysically wrong and you're quite right but if 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 this was Ebola and all he had to do was wear a mask my point would be um otios and a, a stupid one worth making but when we're not in that situation yeah we? yeah that 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 was that was why i asked you the question before it wasn't in the context of today and what we're looking at now i was saying under any circumstances so the libertarian view is a good is it's i i you know, I have sympathy for the libertarian view, but there are times, as Yuval Noah Harari says, when you can't, it's great to have the individual say, look, I just want to do what the hell I want whenever I want at any time that I want. And I don't give a f about anybody else. That's yeah. fine. Right. Well, I'm not, but if I'm you, not if you, if you, if you kill somebody because you've spread the vi a virus to them, that isn't fine, is it? Cause you're not making a decision based on no. you you know, you're actually infecting somebody else by your own poor, um, you know, decisions. So that that's like that's a that's something that needs exploring. Now, I'm not saying that that's where we are, you know, today. And I I think that there has been definitely uh, this has been used as an opportunity. It's come at a time when a massive power grab. It's the biggest power grab in history. We have the technology now which we didn't have before to track everybody and everything that we do. We didn't have that before and no. now we've got it. And you, you don't need tons of people in a, a room typing out what people have been doing. Or I was thinking the other day, you know, something popped into my head. Do you remember anybody talking uh, about the satellites that could apparently read newspapers from, you know, from from above, so they could effectively read whatever you were reading, or perhaps read your phone. And I just thought, how redundant is that now? When they've obviously just got access to everything we do anyway, why would they need to do that anymore? It also presupposes anything worth reading in the newspaper. There's, there's no newspaper worth reading. <laughs> well, no, I, no. I, th I think the point was that they could read whatever was like whatever documents you had. You know, so nothing it was nothing would be secret in in the in the public. Um, you know, you wouldn't be secret. Nothing this, you could this, do because you could be this, spotted. This reminds me of I don't know. I don't know, Sean, if you ever remember seeing a series in on in the nineteen eighties on ITV called Whoops Apocalypse. I do, yeah. But I do remember buying with, their with, with with the idiot president. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. John, oh, I can't remember. Oh, what he called it. fancy that! <laughs> That'll never but, happen. But I do. I do. Yes, indeed. Yeah, the completely <laughs> demented president. Uh, I do remember it. But yeah. I do remember buying the cash in like Christmas annual, uh, which was extremely funny. This is another Marshall and Rennick production, if I if I remember correctly, as the scriptwriters. And they had there's a few things. Uh, this 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 diatribe is now going to last about twenty minutes. So prepare yourselves, everybody. Um, maybe get a few drinks, put the kettle on. Um, and one of them was to the point about the satellite. They said that you know they've they've got this new satellite technology that can. That can see uh, a conservative MP in his bedroom, and with special sort of like special extra technology, they can even see the secretary underneath him. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, at one point in that series, the president says, um, 
Anyone who tries to give me a lobotomy is going to get a piece of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one... that was that was must be from eighty one, eighty two. It's early eighties, eighty three. Yeah. I'll make you eighty three choice, governor. How about that? Okay, mate. All right. Okay. So, so uh, but the one, the one that I, I've used myself a few times. Well, there's several because it was those guys are really funny. Um, one of them is is one I used in a school essay. I remember, and it was. It was comparing inevitably they would compare and contrast the U.S. military arsenal versus the Soviet one, and so they had you know there was a there was an example of a Soviet tank that you know would have five people in it for like you know three months on end, and then <laughs> the the rush to get out is <laughs> <was> just overwhelming. <laughs> the, the, the single biggest the single biggest joke was that I remember was they said it was something along the lines of they were comparing the. U.S. Uh, uh, um, nuclear arsenal with the with the Soviet one, um, so I I, I I probably was was already prepared for horrors to come by dint of sort of growing up in the middle of the Cold War. Um, and anyhow, there was the, there was a, a reference to the the Soviet the Soviet. Uh, they said something like this: "This is here's a a diagram of an SS twenty missile," and they said. So the Soviet guys, the Soviet general saying, yeah, uh, it, it used to take 400 peasants to make the nose cone of an SS-20 missile. We've since found out that titanium is more hard wearing. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I thought that was one of the funniest jokes. I mean, it's, it's in poor taste. Arguably, but uh, arguably, there's no argument. <laughs> But to that point, we're going to segue effortlessly on to geopolitics because that's because we're classy. So do you think, Sean, that we are at war with China um, already I, in, in I, a, non, a non-traditional sense? I don't think I'm qualified to make judgment about well, that. You, no, but I think it's, any, anybody is qualified to make that judgment as an, as a personal opinion. I... In other words, so to, I, I am to, becoming to go, very, to go, to go, I am becoming to... more and more concerned about uh, about the Chinese influence on every single aspect of my life. Yes, I remember when Theresa May became Prime Minister. Theresa, who? Yeah, her. She uh, she ostensibly pushed back against the Chinese, didn't she? Um, briefly over some contract or other when she first became PM. No one remember that? No, uh, okay. I barely remember her. No, she's, okay. Her historical legacy is not going to be it's not going to be etched on tablets of marble, is it? Yeah. Um, basically sort of piss it on a wet wipe and then flush it down the bog. Harsh, harsh, but okay. <laughs> a fair summary, I suppose, in some ways. Um, I, I, I think... We probably are at war with China, but it's a war of a very different sort. It's a war of a, you know, which has a different complexion from any war we've known. Because obviously they're at war with us. So by definition, I suppose we are. But a war implies two sides. I'm not really sure that the people on, quotes our side are up for the fight. That's that's a really scary thing about this uh, situation, isn't it? That we don't even a we don't necessarily know that we're even at war. Though I think we well, I think you and I have a an inkling as to what may be the case. 
And B, if we are at war, it's also who else are we at war with? Because I get the sense, and I'm sort of putting all my cards on the table. I think we're at war with like half of, you know, basically big corporate globalism. Yeah. And that is China, isn't it? Well, it's China, but it's also big tech, big media, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. Big pharma. I, I, bad, I, bad, bad pharma. Yeah, I, I, I think um, there's, there's a revolution, an ongoing revolution in the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about our relationship to the state. And I think that's not, I, I think the reevaluation of that is pernicious. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with the elimination of money as something you can hold in your hand. Um, I'm unhappy about it. And I think it's evil. Um, but, you know, what, what What can we do about it? The, the whole idea of electronic money is a very interesting one because... I, I, wrote, I wrote a piece. Sorry, sorry to cut in, Paul, but I just wanted to complete that point. I wrote a piece for the article a few weeks ago because I was really concerned about this because I was someone who was street homeless for a while, so I was just dealing in cash. I didn't have bank accounts. And then at the start of lockdown, um, I managed to get a couple of bank accounts together because I, I, I thought it was going to be difficult to actually go to a cash machine and take money out. And then that made me think over the course of the next few months, our relationship to money is changing. If you, if you don't have cash in your hand, or all you think about when it comes to money is just a, a number on a screen, that's a very different relationship. So I wrote a piece, and I, I, I put it in terms of Cockney rhyming slang for money. You know, when I said, uh, what's a pony minus a score, and stuff like that. A squirrel. Uh, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's a Godiva. I've, I've no idea what... Well, a, a pony is £25. A score is £20. So a pony minus a score is what? A Lady Godiva, a fiver. A Lady, exactly, yeah. Or a Jackson, a Jackson five. So, <laughs> but that, that shows a, a definite relationship towards what money is, that kind of language. And it struck me that we're losing that. You know, you go down and, sorry, you go, you, you go to a restaurant, if you're allowed in there, and you... you That's the ethics and metaphysics of money. I, I've, I've read that. Yeah, that was the piece, yeah. Yeah, the interesting yeah. thing about, about the physical aspect of money and something that occurred to me when I went to America was that um, physically when you spend money, you're far more aware of it. It's just why casinos, yeah. it's why casinos give you tokens because then yeah. you sort of detach your 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 mental anchoring to actual cash yeah. and you just think you're playing with something else but actually it's real yeah. money and so yeah. people spend more when it, they put stuff on their cards and when exactly. it's when but it's doing not, it through a smartphone is even more is even is even subtler than that because then you're not even being reminded of a, a depleting pile of physical assets well the, an, an american money I, f I find absolutely fascinating because with our notes we have completely different different, different colors different we have different colors. colors different sizes for the 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 value of the note but with american money a one dollar bill is the same as a hundred dollar bill is the same as a twenty dollar bill is the same as a 10 and it's it's all the same and, and the more money you spend the more money you get it well that's what it feels like because if you you spend like you know a hundred you end up with a load more notes so if you've got 100 then you you spend it and you you get change you end up with more 
more physical notes. So, and yeah. then as it breaks down, you break a 10 and it turns into sort of nine ones or whatever. You, it feels like you've always got loads of money on you. It's really, really quite a weird, weird feeling. Um, yeah. But with English money, it doesn't work like that. You know, you, you do see the, the bigger notes disappearing. So, you know, you're spending money. It's, and I don't know whether that was clearly that wasn't intentional. Um, or maybe it was, I don't know, but it, it seemed like an interesting psychological concept about spending money. Yeah, there's a point that, that, that you, you, you get attached to the actual physicality of the money itself. Yeah. I, I forget who I owe this, this quote to, but it, someone bright said, what we now have as money is the abstraction of an abstraction. It's so divorced from what proper money is and used to be. So at one point it was, it was, it was physical metal. It was, it was precious metal. It was gold and silver. And then that was replaced by a paper reference to that mm. bullion. And then the paper itself got replaced by an electronic book entry. So now the, well, what we, what we think of as, as money is, is so, again, this, it goes back to the Harari point, uh, Paul, that, it's 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 almost it's almost become mythical. It it it's so divorced from the physical world, but that's concerning if you consider that probably for most people, money is probably going to be one of the most important things they 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 reference. They'll I imagine if you did a like a family fortunes contest quiz with with a family uh, and said what what's what's most important to you they'd probably say family you know mate you no know, partner money Mon money's going to be up there but the idea that this this thing can just be effectively just it it it's it doesn't really exist other than it, in our no, imagination not, it's not just that it doesn't it, exist so i mean i i i is sort of long standing listeners will probably be aware i'm a, a, a kind of hard money austrian school classical economics uh um, i'm a mises person i'm a i'm a misesian person so i believe that so for anyone that's unfamiliar with ludwig von mises ludwig von mises was one of the intellectual grandfathers of the austrian or late classical economic school and what I understand, I'm still learning about this stuff, but what I, because I, I didn't read economics, I read English at university. So all the economics that I know, I know from 30 years in the capital markets, which is by experience rather than by theory, which I'm, I'm not at all ashamed of. But the, the, the point being, my understanding of the Mises, of Ludwig von Mises' um, approaches, it, 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 it absolutely believes in three things. It believes in sound money, money that retains its purchasing power over time. Mm. It believes in small government, and it believes in libertarian principles. And the absolute tragedy of our time is that we don't have any of those things anymore. We have, so, we have crap money, we have overbearing government, and we, have, we are rapidly descending towards, a, we are rapidly tobogganing towards the grave of a, a biosurveillance state yeah and i'm and just hope i'm just hoping that it is not too late to push back the pendulum but who knows i i i and i believe that this government has a strategy to weaponize inflation 
um, to, to, to inflate away the debt it's running up. I, I, I completely I completely agree. So my I mentioned my colleague Killian um, earlier. Um, Killian, unlike me, has, has studied economics at a sort of postgraduate level, and he I remember him citing stuff that he did at the LSE comparatively recently. And unless I'm mistaken, I think one thing he said was that basically monetary systems tend to last uh, on average, say, 30 years or so. And then they, they basically just collapse. They buckle under the pressure of basically politi- politicians' promises, and they have to be re- rebuilt. Yeah. Can I, can I, just, can just, I just, just, let me just finish, and then, then I'll, I'll happily open up. The, the current monetary system that we have is basically a... a I can't remember the, the, the name now, but there, there, there used to be a, a, a an English cartoonist who would do nonsensical, massively overfabricated, um, incredible inventions and engines. But it's it's it, it was all just ludicrously cobbled together. Um, it's it's a cobbled together thing that started in 1971 when uh, Nixon took the dollar off gold. We've had an untethered monetary system for 50 years now. That system, it, we are seeing its death throes as we have this conversation. Something is coming to replace it. The question is, what is going to replace it? And another question is, do the people of the world get a say in that, or is that determined by dark powers that are, I think, already evilly trying to reset stuff to their own horrible uh, and a disgusting um, objectives. You know, Sorry. I said. Uh, you know, I said earlier on, Tim, that I thought you were being optimistic. <laughs> I think, I, I wrote back re- from that. I have to reassess that. <laughs> but I, I, I think I'm, 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 I'm bullish at heart. Yeah, I, I, I think that. I mean, the von Mises stuff. I suppose is it a kind of uh, reformulation of Adam Smith? Is that I, don't, the... I don't. I don't think they're fundamentally di- different or opposed anyway. Right. I think the reason why I keep circling back to to Mises is is for one particular, and again, it's dark reason, which is the thing that most concerns me because we're, we're we're money managers, so we're, we're we're managing people's private clients' sacred assets, irreplaceable assets. Okay, life mm. savings, and so. Objective number one is don't lose the money. No. And that's just not in nominal terms. It's also in real terms. Sure. Then you look at the thing through the Mises, um, von Mises perspective. And the reason I keep coming back to that is Mises had firsthand experience of the Weimar hyperinflation. Yeah. And the, so this has multiple meanings. But one, well, one of them is that the Weimar hyperinflation basically – completely eviscerated the working and middle class in uh, Germany and Austria in the 1920s and 30s and dot 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 also led to the rise of Hitler sure so, and also, so let, let's just say that's that, that any basically any form of monetary disorder is not not to be welcomed no and there's a deep moral point there as well isn't there which is that basically what money is is a kind of agreed fiction um so it takes lib- us back to harari again which is that everything is ultimately kind of fictive that's yeah. a great way of putting it agreed fiction yeah. and, and so therefore to sort of weaponize inflation is to it's actually really is, evil is it's to, really it, evil. is is yeah immoral 
because it's it's to um, weaponize people's um, agreements with each other. You know, it's to you know that's what inflation is. Inflation is a distortion of people's one-to-one agreements. I mean, what is money apart from I have this, you have that? Let's do an exchange. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a for it's it's that's all it is. It's a mammalian form of trust. Yeah, yeah, that's even better than mine. That's irritating. (laughs) (laughs) I might use that. (laughs) What was it again, Tim? A what? A mammalian form of trust. A a mammalian form of trust. Hang on. Right, got that. But I, I was I was thinking about the concept of um, electronic money g- in general. And uh, if you, if you've seen the the dog coin video, haven't you? Or, yeah, 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 yeah. It's absolutely hilarious. which we have to include in the show notes because it is it is very funny. Oh yeah, I don't know if you've seen this, Sean, but it's it's it. You know, finance by and large gets a, a bad rap because bizarrely, given given how important and relevant money is, um, that there are very. There are very, for example, there are very few good films about money or Wall Street or the city or whatever you want to call it. So the stuff that does appear from time to time needs to be cherished. There is a, a corking, it's only about three minutes long uh, video, but it's reason. Uh, it's about Dogcoin or Dogecoin. It's bloody funny. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. But if you haven't seen it, we'll, we'll, we'll include it in the... Oh, um, yeah, I'd like to look at that. After stuff. It's very, very good. Okay, that sounds good. So, so the, the the concept of um, central banks using electronic money, and it, it seems like um, it's, it's what everyone's crying out for. It's a please, Bank of England, please force me to have negative interest rates and steal all my money, you bastards! I actually saw someone on Twitter the other day saying, and I think she was being serious, saying governments can make their own money. And she was, well, what was fiat currency then? Well, false money, isn't it? Presumably. No, fear, I mean... It means command, doesn't it? It, 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 it fears yeah. me... Money, fear, money, fear, money fear by command. By, yeah. de- by decree, let it be. So, yeah. you know, so, we can say that, you know, leaves can be money if you're government. If you want to make people use leaves, I mean, I'm not sure there'll be a particularly high exchange rate, but never know. I, personally, I'm um, I'm stockpiling grass. I think grass <laughs> is the next... Uh, yeah, the next. That, that's not a bad idea. You could... <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm doubling up. I'm doubling up with Bill Gates because he's got nearly all of it in America, apparently. So, the 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 idea of electronic money is it, you know, the, the fact that the government will be able to track every single transaction, which must be very, very attractive to them, and an obvious technological um, simplicity for them to invoke. But the other side of of paper money is that it it is it is forged and it can be forged in huge amounts i was listening to a podcast that was talking about how the north koreans were manufacturing us dollars so well that you couldn't tell the difference between normal dollars and what were called super dollars and they, you know the printing press of a of, of a nation. If they're going to do that, you're going to end up with billions upon billions of false notes. And it's just a question. It made me think whether actually this this whole process of having to constantly change your notes because the technology to print the notes is then caught up by 
the people who are forging the notes means that at least with electronic money, you can't forge it, or in theory, you can't. And and I'm not saying that I'm I'm for electronic money and negative interest rates because I'm I'm really really not. Um, and I think if they use use it for that tool, then it's then it's completely immoral to do that to push interest rates negative when people have been very prudent saving money. And effectively, what you're doing there is 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 actually helping the people who've over leveraged or um, who've got businesses that really should fold. Um, and that that an economy can't work like that. It just cannot continue like that. So there's that argument about what you might do with electronic money if you if you have it as a government. But is it? Are we at a point where the technology's there and it's just a question of? It's going to happen eventually because actual the cost of physical coins and notes are eventually going to be like, well, this is really old tech. You know, are we just resisting that that change or is there something else there? Well, I'd, I'd like to pay respect to the forgers for all the work they do. <laughs> <laughs> that shows a certain love of money to, to do that. It's a, there's an entrepreneurial um, spirit there that that, yeah. flame, that flame lives eternal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's my first. They used, to, they used to they used to cut their hands off, didn't they? Did, Did they? they? I think so. I think I think the that was a thief, the wasn't it? Forgery. Well, it's the same thing, though, isn't it? And this is this is why central bankers should all be consigned to the flames of hell because they're all they're doing is forging money. Let's be honest. Anyhow, I think the penalty for forgery in, under the um, Norman. Um, regime was uh, yeah, he had your hands cut off, right? Yeah. Off, well, off, what, what, what did it used to be? Off with their ghoulies. Off with their ghoulies. Right. That's not okay. That's, that's not, not hands. hands that's not. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just ra- randomly spouting. Not that I've got news uh, slogans now. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, have, yeah, I have to get yeah. down on the um, yeah. western off, side of clearly. I, I remember that sketch. You, 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 we um, absolutely have no choice but to cut off the ghoulies. Absolutely. Off with yeah. the ghoulies. Yeah, it was the Mel Smith, wasn't it? Mel Smith and... Uh, Griff Rhys-Jones. Pamela, Pamela Stevenson. Yeah. That's right. And then everyone gets wispy-eyed and starts drifting off into a middle-aged male uh, midlife crisis. Sorry, that's enough personal experience for one for one evening. You've really distracted me there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you said Pamela Stevenson. <laughs> We Would you like to about- put your head between them and go blubble, blubble, blubble with American <laughs> Express? We'll have to put links in the show notes to what you're talking about because people are yeah, not no going to understand. That, that, oh, the, well. These are old comedy sketches from... Yeah, from- but yeah, but yeah, our audience, I like to think, is of a certain age. They can they can appreciate fine wine and finely distilled, the, the, the distilled grapes of long-fermented... You're going to mention Gerald the Gorilla next, aren't you? Yes. The production Ger- quality on that album was amazing. <laughs> Johnny Mathis. I do not eat the daffodils. You bloody <laughs> he bloody does. <laughs> uh, you probably think it's like ninety nine point nine percent. Yeah, it is, but yeah. We were talking about the metaphysics of money. Now we've come yes. to I yes. can't so, so, that, is, that is the most amazing link. The metaphysics so of money to the Gerald the Gorilla and not other news. Shows that if anything's if possible. A, if we don't win a BAFTA for this bloody podcast well, I, I don't know what i frankly don't know <laughs> well we you had a question this on telling poll do you exactly we had a question we had somebody <laughs> ask whether we, we actually I sh- hear this you don't get that on telling poll either <laughs> we had someone ask 
if if we could list the contents of what's actually in the podcast. But it, as you can see, it's just completely bloody impossible. It's a kind of Pandora's box of. Uh, you, I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know what we're going to be speaking about next. Well, what what Tim said to me. Um, Paul was that uh, Paul does some light editing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This 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 hour and a half will be cut down to about three minutes. <laughs> no, there is light editing, and that'll be the not the nine o'clock news bit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Where, where were we about the metaphysics? So, so we, would, so we so I I just wondered well, whether the, our attachment to physical notes and oh, coins yeah. is is just a. A transition in the same way that, you know, when pocket calculators first came around, everyone's going, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, we're not going to use our brains anymore. You know, uh, what happens when they stop working and, and all that stuff. What happens uh, when our brains stop working? Well, I think we're finding out. You, we? Well, yeah. I mean, look, there is a very real risk that we are actually relying too much on technology. Um, I, I, and, and I get that totally. I, I really, really do. Uh, I, I think, think with spelling and everything, I mean, autocorrect is awful. I think everyone should turn it off. I think what it means at the very least is that our relationship to money is being redefined. Whether that's in a good way or a bad way, I don't know. But it's starting to mean something different to us. I wonder if, I wonder if we'll ever go back to the gold standard, actually. I don't think we ever will. I don't that's, think that's, a really, that's a really intriguing question. Um, and I'm, I'm not qualified to, to answer, but uh, I, I can answer to the extent that I, I think it would be a desirable outcome for anybody that believes in sound money. Mm. Um, and on, on this point, I mean, although we haven't engaged with uh, cryptocurrency, so, so Bitcoin et al., um, personally as a libertarian, I have to endorse the idea of letting a thousand flowers bloom. So why should governments control the issuance of, of currency? Mm. Um, let, let the market do it as well. Um, anyway, so, so that's sort of, an but then, then you'd have to find Tim, something, I suppose this is gold, something that is, that people universally place value in. Well, this is, this is it. So everyone, everyone bangs on about Bitcoin and Ethereum and Dogecoin and whatever the, I mean, my own personal favorite was apparently at one point, William Shatner, um, Captain Kirk from Star Trek was thinking of launching his own Flipping X. The range of reference on this podcast is... <laughs> <laughs> so apparently at one point we were thinking, and I was I was deeply looking forward to, to Shatcoin happening. Shatcoin? I mean, you'd, <laughs> you'd buy some Shatcoin, wouldn't you? I, I, you you'd, be a, you'd be a fool not to. Exactly. Frankly. Why don't we start it? But but I, I don't know if it came to pass or not. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so, uh, got Lieutenant Wharf. Um, uh, yeah. uh, anyway, I, I think I've de derailed my own train of thought with that uh, over-exuberant Brian Blessed uh, Lieutenant Wharf uh, impression. Yeah. So didn't didn't Bowie do something similar? Oh, back. Yes, One he, thing he, he would, sold his would, back catalogue. He sold it into a. He, he turned it into he a bond. Monetize, he monetized it. Yeah. He, he turned it to a bond issue. I think is something yeah. I remember. One thing I would say, because we, I, I, I alerted um, Sean to the fact that we do a media picks. Mm. Oh yeah, sorry. Round. No, no, it's, it's fine. Um, and this may or may not be even of relevance for that, but it's something. One of the things, if we were doing it now, which we don't have to, but if we were doing it now, I would cite um, a Nick Nicholas Rogue film called The Man Who Fell to Earth, yeah. which I think is great. Yeah. Um, and full of metaphorical um, richness. 
and people can make up their own minds having seen it. Um, I, for whatever reason, you, you get lucky and unlucky with with bands and and uh, musicians. So I'm a, a child, basically the seventies. But for for some reason, I just didn't. Bowie and I didn't. Those paths didn't really cross. So I was aware of Major Tom and all that stuff. But the to your point, Sean, the the more I see of Bowie, not just the music, but more specifically the person, the real living person and the intelligent person that he clearly was, the more I'm in awe of the guy. I wish I'd, I'd, I'd known about more about him earlier because I think the guy was a complete genius. He was, yeah. Maybe they'll make a biopic about him. Well, sure, there must be, there must be some knocking around already. Yeah, but like a modern, a modern one. A mod, yeah, a retrospective. Yeah. yeah. He, he'd, he'd have been a genius in anything he did. I mean, he put all his money into art, for, um, you know, because he was he was an avid and discerning collector of that, and that's where he put his money. But um, I remember an interview that he did with Paxman in about 1999, and he was trying to tell Jeremy Paxman about, about the potential of the internet. Yes, yeah. have you seen it? I have. Yes, I'm, I'm, and you know, he's all over Paxman. Paxman just doesn't get it, and Bowie is getting it. Yeah, you know, he's one of those people who gets what's going on. Um, no, he was a genius, and he was—he had his personal complications. But I think, I think what speaks well of him is he kept quiet his final illness, and before his death oh, was announced, he'd already been cremated. He yeah, he, he was—it was magisterially decent. Yeah, the whole thing, distinguished. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he was—he was just—he was—he was just intellectually brilliant. Yeah, no doubt about that. So within um, so within his songs, I mean, I—I I, I was the same, Tim. Growing up, I didn't necessarily buy a Bowie record, but I used to think his tracks were great. And if I heard them on the radio, I think super. But I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy his stuff. But it, it, there was always something I, I'd admire about the quality of his music. Um, one of my favourite track of his tracks is "Let's Dance." I mean, mm. um, if I, I suppose I should really listen back to it because there's probably more in the lyrics um, than I I, I care to. A lot, a lot stuff, a lot of stuff that's there in code, yeah, or in metaphor. Because I remember "Let's Dance" and I remember it being hypnotically good, and I seem to remember images of Australia and yeah, God, that's, what where, else, that's, but, that's where the video was filmed, yeah. But uh, I I wonder whether there's a certain caliber of artists or artists that that for whatever reason you actually experience them properly when you're in your like your forties or your fifties. You just don't. If you if you for if 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 kismet had it that you didn't get them the first time round, you get to experience them at a second time round in a more richer context later on in life, which is fine. Is investing in in music, like that, in music catalogs, something that you could consider under value investing. Yeah, I mean, anything works, but because I've got it, a few it, tunes, it, I want to get get off my hands. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you've, you've got, yeah, you've got. A, uh, I'll, I'll do you a deal. Uh, okay, but I've, I've got a, a, a bunch, and you can have them for a do it for a bag of chips. <laughs> bag of chips, brilliant. No, but the, 
they, there were there are some trusts, aren't there, that, that actually invest in it in all seriousness. I'm trying to think what the name is. Is it? Um... If you can remember that, then I'll be absolutely amazed. It's, it's, is it Chrysalis? Oh yeah, yeah, Chrysalis. Yeah, the Re- Chrysalis, Chrysalis Records. Yeah, but there was uh, there was a there was a fund. I seem to get a snippet of of, of a memory of of a fund being set up to invest in it. And I just I just can't remember who they are now, but but anyway, it's it, it's something that should it's in theory sig, sig something because it's 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 Cygnosis, is it? It's it's the the guys who did uh, Pink Floyd um, album uh, design or something. Oh right, okay. I I, I can't okay. remember to be honest. Let but, me let me let me cogitate on this. Yeah, um, but it but it's interesting how, like you say, Bowie obviously realised that in the long term there's going to be it, the the value is always going to be there. It's just going to just going to grow, and um, and if you can if you can monetize it, then obviously you're not going to live forever. So why not take the benefit up front? And that that was a really smart move. And there was of course the story of um, uh, Paul McCartney saying to Michael Jackson that you know he said you know what you should really do you should buy your buy your songs back because. Yeah. Most people don't know that when you when you have a record label, you're writing songs for the record label. So you don't actually own those songs. They own the songs. And you get some rights every time the song's played. So when if you have enough money, you can buy it back from the record label. You make an offer and say, Look, I want I want these songs myself. So he told um he told Michael Jackson that. And Michael Jackson turned around and bought all the uh, rights to the Beatles songs before Paul McCartney could do it. So no good deed goes unpunished, as it were. Yeah, McCartney got, McCartney got them back in the end. Oh, did he get? And, he got and, them back, he did he? He did, yeah. And McCartney had bought the rights to Buddy Holly. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So there's a, there's a company called Hypnosis Songs Fund, uh, which was set up by Merck Mercuriadis and Nile Rogers in 2018. Yeah, Nile Rogers but, was the producer on one of the Bowie albums, actually the Let's Dance one. But the the reason I Amazing know Hypnosis is, is not from that although it is from that it's because I recognize it because they did the, um, the album covers for, for yes. And for, I think the, probably the most famous one is for the uh, Pink Floyd, uh, dark side of the moon. Yeah. Well, that's an amazing album cover, isn't it? And that's something I grew up to again, as, as a child of the seventies, not that I bought it. The, I, I'm, I'm, I'm extraordinarily proud. Uh, not that you can be of these things, a complete happenstance, but the very first album that I ever bought was uh, Synchronicity by the Police. And as, as first albums go, um, you, couldn't, you couldn't have asked for better, better fare. Yeah. It was absolute I, belter. It was a complete what, belter. What was, I mean, look, we always, uh, the older people always complain about the music of the young, I suppose. I don't actually mind the, the current... Well, modern music shit. Well, I don't mind modern music. I don't mind it. I really don't. I, I just think... But the, it is shit. You have to accept it's shit. It's not, it's I, not I, shit. It's I, different. No, no, I, I, will, I, I will, because I, I'll, 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 I'll stand on this. I will, def, I will stand on this hill and mm-hmm. defend this hill. Yeah. You, you a, a few days ago, you, you sent me... Uh, we, won't <laughs> name the, we won't name the artist. <laughs> But you sent me yes. a video on YouTube of, uh, let's say, a lady, a lady artiste, and it was full of profanities, and it was whatever. And it's just like, 
That's just completely classless rubbish. Yeah, no, no, that that was stuff that we grew up with. That 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 was, and that is that there is a. But that's like massively successful commercially. So yes, you know, yeah, live in a world of bread and circuses. But there is a there there is a. I appreciate it always has been, but there there is also people of taste and discernment, many of whom, indeed, all of them, listen to this podcast. Indeed, there is a a branch of music that is is very low rent shall we say and very popular and it's becoming i i think things are just becoming more sort of aggressive and with women rappers distasteful well distasteful you know just more aggressive that seems to be more aggressive more distasteful and more shock value it was carly b i I can't remember yeah it was uh yeah cardi b uh, and Cardi B. I'd never, I'd never, I'd never heard of her before. But the, the reason is because the process of music creation has changed. In the old days, you used to have bands that would fight it out, get a record label, they would go on tour, they would do the pubs and clubs, they would get a following, get signed, see how the album goes, and then go from there. And so they they'd worked through. They cut their teeth on the on stages on the, on the road on the road, road and and what what's happened now is the record labels have just gone. You know what? Screw all that. We'll get we'll get somebody who looks good. We'll, we'll fast track the whole process. Well, well, instead of spending the money that they would risk on bands not working, they just invest in songwriters who write brilliant songs. So if if you look up um, the, the the songwriter is a I think he's Nordic. Uh, he may be Swedish. I'm not sure. But th- there's one guy who's responsible for most of the big pop hits that you've heard. It's just one guy and, uh, you know, maybe a small team. So, well, like uh, someone like, um, I'm trying to think what, what they're called now. Uh, um, what, Stock Aiken Stock Aiken Waterman. Yeah, the, the equivalent. a bit like that. The equivalent. So what they do is they use his songwriting prowess. They put the stars up there. Um, and but it's a production line, and and then yeah, that's basically and, one song repackaged over and over again. Yeah, it's one style, and what they the way they get you is with something called repetition. So the more they repeat the song, the more you are going to you become you you become attuned to it. So it it's like the more you hear it, the more you want to hear it. It's, I just wonder. I just wonder. That's how general advertising works. To but, what extent that that works now, because. If if my consumption of media is any reflection of what's happening in the wider world, I don't consume mainstream media anymore because it's all nonsense and rubbish and evil bollocks. So if I am remotely representative, all of the stuff that's worked hitherto is not going to work because yeah, where, do, where do people get this stuff from? If you're not listening to so – I mean, okay, it's not, a, it's not a music platform, but say Radio 4. We have a radio in our in our flat. We have a radio in every room, and for for decades, they've been automatically tuned to Radio Four because that's just who we are. And now they're they're never turned on. They're like sort of artifacts for an ancient civilization, like you know the the, the black stones in um, you know two thousand and one. Well, what do they mean? What are these things? Um, I. I think that model's dead. What What are the Blackstones of 2001? I don't know what that is. It's the mo- the monoliths that appear on the moon. Oh. You know, you're going to have to watch that film again, Paul. 
Okay. Seriously. What what film? Two thousand and one. Oh oh right. Sorry. Yeah 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 yeah. The clue was in me saying two thousand and one. I thought you meant actually in two thousand and one. No, it was it was referring to the film two thousand. There's Kubrick. Kubrick. Um. Right. Kubrick, right. Right. Um. But anyway, it's it's like so the that model of doing stuff on commercial. I I'm, I know I'm going on off on a bit of a, a tangent on a bit of a whatever, but it, it seems to me that mainstream media is dying in front of our eyes i do not and i and again i'm i'm sort of overstate i'm prone to hyperbole so i accept that but i think mainstream media will not survive this crisis and it doesn't deserve to because it's been complicit in the crisis however we define the crisis precisely and good so what i I like to think of the future is going to be a million flowers blooming and they're all going to be independent bottom-up uh, but but genuinely value added things rather than just top down corporate direct crap, and 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 good if that happens. I'd like to think, and I agree with all of that, that uh, music is the thing that takes us out of it. Mm. And what I what I try and do on Twitter in the evening, having shit posted during the day, is just to stick some music up there. So last night it was. I think it was this is the Waterboys, an '80s band that probably no one ever listens to anymore. Um, but uh, music is a big thing for me, and the way the world is at the moment, music is my escape. Yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul and I are finding an increasing amount of time dedicated to developing musical projects. Yeah. It's uh, it's cathartic if if nothing else, and um, and and on the point about finding new music, I I tend to listen to um, radio stations that that I mean personally I like heavy rock music, and there's a there's a band called Royal Blood that I absolutely love, and I was a big fan of them before they were big, and and I was really pleased that they they're just like it's just two guys. A, a drummer and a, a a bass player and they just got the biggest most amazing full sound that you could that are bigger than like full bands and i just think it's fantastic it, that they they still they can still break out is that is is that because they can is is that down to sound engineering that they can sort of layer over layer over layer stuff well what what he did was he got the signal from his bass and he split it so that you've got the top frequencies and the bottom frequencies and there's this pedal called an octava which can play an octave up and an octave below so and then he split it into two different amps as well his, does that his, make it sound a bit distorted yeah it does and you can turn it turn it on and turn it off but i i would suggest that you listen to a live version of of one of his tracks if you like heavy rock music it's like it's like nothing which else which i do what, what are like, they called Royal, Royal blood, blood, Royal Blood. Oh, okay. And the the sat I've seen them live, and you know the, I I picked up on them when they were really small, and no, nobody'd heard of them. And then they then they um, were supported. They are from Brighton. So they're from Brighton. They they're actually not. They're actually <laughs> really good guys, uh, or seem to be. Um, but they were support act for um, the Foo Fighters. That was when they got their break, and I I think they were big and ready. And so. You know, and a lot of music that you hear in adverts and stuff, and and, and theirs. Y- you'll you'll hear a lot of it um, from them. So you know, 
great, great band and just two guys and amazing craft, just brilliant craft. And and there's another band that I absolutely love called Dinosaur Pileup, who you're probably never going to hear of. But they are fantastic. Again, well, I think we've heard of them now, Paul. Yeah, you've broke you've broken the mainstream. Yeah, I think they're just brilliant, a brilliant band that no nobody's you know really heard of. So I just really well, hope they break out because they're fantastic. Hopefully, hopefully, we can we can help them on the help on the help on the way. Well, what you know, the- I I think I've got you know you you and I like rock music. I doubt there's that many rock music rock music fans out there, but you know I hope there I, are. I oh, oh contraire, Black I Adder, hope so. All hey, things this- possible. This pod's had everything, hasn't it? It's yeah. Had, it's had <laughs> philosophy, economics, not the nine o'clock news. <laughs> what, so you like the Waterboys. What other sort of stuff do you like? Uh, I'm a Beatles, but I don't know if you know anything about my dad. You probably don't. But no. he, was, he was quite a famous music journalist. Um, no. Wow. No. We, we can, um, and um, we used to have in our house in Muswell Hill when I was growing up, it was a bit of a salon was going i wrote an article about it for the article actually um a couple of weeks ago but um yeah my dad was a working class liverpool person um got a job on a magazine called mersey beat in the early 60s and then ended up being deputy editor of melody maker wow this magazine melody maker and uh, yeah alan walsh's name fantastic um so you know so we used to have i remember I remember one night, my mother physically throwing Engelbert Humperdinck out of the house. What was he doing he, in the house? That, that, that's happened to all of us. <laughs> He'd overstayed his welcome. They called him Jerry. His real name was Jerry Dawson. And it was just, she threw him out because it was getting boring. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> she, she released him and let him go into the dark... Uh, Please yes, release me, so. let me go. That, was that actually Engelbert Humperdinck? It was, yeah. Oh, sorry. That's I, why I was making the joke. I know, that's that's I, also I just, true. I, I've just, I've just like, I've just in my in my traditional way, I've managed to throw several torpedoes into someone else's joke and make the whole thing sink below. No, the actually, 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 speed. Tim, you completed it for me. <laughs> so, so was it like? Was it like she didn't know it was him and, and no, your dad was saying like, because so, no, that would have no, been really funny if she'd kicked him out and not no, known no, who no, she was. No, she knew it was him. That's, that's um, fantastic. She just said, you're too boring. You're, you're out. Yeah, it was about one o'clock in the morning. Oh, she right. Said, fair enough. Fuck off. You can fuck off now. We want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> she threw him out. We had. So did you get your free tickets then to his next gig or? No, no, no. I wasn't particularly interested. I was only about seven years old at this point. Yeah. But we had, um, we had Harrison around. George Harrison was one of my mum's favourites. She said he was lovely. It's, it's nice to think that there was an era that someone with the misfortune to be titled Engelbert Humperdinck could, 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 could succeed despite all the odds. But, but his, his real name was Jerry Dorsey. So that's how they knew him as Jerry. To be right. honest, if I was born Jerry... Jerry Dorsey. You wouldn't I'm change not gonna, your You're not going to go, 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 I know, I know, I'll call myself Engelbert. <laughs> it's like, you couldn't make it up, could you? If you, everyone, if you? Everyone had far too many drugs in, in, the, in the olden days. I think we should go to Media Picks, Paul. I think that's a good idea. Because we're kind of halfway there. Why, so why, warned, why do you stop? I warned you about this, Sean, that we, and we were sort of halfway there already, so it's an effort to segue in our fantastically well-produced and rehearsed yeah, I, I think people are just th- going to think that we've kind of like played 
that sort of bingo game where you've got to you've got to mention each subject and this was all planned but actually yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on now so go on apparently it's I've been just, warned just, of it it's just like life it's just like life, just like life. Uh, uh, all life. you have to do is share a media pick of some kind which could be a book a film a blog a podcast okay. any anything yeah. that you anything that you think you know if we were if we were sitting in a cafe or bar or pub or wherever and it's like, oh, have you seen this last night? It was fantastic. Or I saw, I, I went to see, like, people are telling me Tenant's an awful film. I haven't seen oh, it yet. Yes, or, it, or it could be shit. Yeah. It could be shit. So it's like, right. either either avoid it because it's really bad, or no, I, I absolutely love, no. But I mean, most people go for something they really love. I'm going to go with a, a film I watched on Amazon Prime last week called Between Two Women. Oh, yeah. Which came out. Is it porno? No. no. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> that, that's um, Tim's one. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... No, it's set... It's set in Yorkshire about um, um, two women who gradually fall in love. And, uh, the, oh, the, les, les, lesbos. No, no, for flip's sake. All right, we're going to go with uh, something else then. <laughs> no, it's, if it was a good film, then that's... That's all. I read, I directed by Stephen Woodcock, and it was um, it, it was very. It was unprofessional of me, so I apologise. No, don't don't apologise. It was funny. Um, actually, no, apologise because you're out of order. <laughs> no, you're I'm a kidding. big man, but you're out of shape, and I do this for a living. Yeah, okay. Get Carter. That was it. Um, no, between two women, uh, directed by. Is directed it porno? By... No, <laughs> it's not porno, Tim. <laughs> right. So um, I just thought repetition in. Uh, once again, I've I've sunk myself below the waterline. Well, redeem book, redeem yourself. If it was a book. Yeah, I go would on. Say, book, book. I would say Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro, Ishiguro, which I'm just reading, which is absolutely fantastic, but depressing. They made that into a film, didn't they? It's a sci-fi dystopian film. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I've, I've not heard of that. It's not. Um, it's not uplifting, but it's brilliant. it's not light romantic comedy. Hmm. Okay. So those would be my two. I had Thank two you. There. Thank I'm you. No, no, that's great. No, you're allowed to. You're allowed more than one you if, you, if you feel strong. You, like. you can have another one if you like. That would be... Uh, uh, I'm rereading the Pickwick Papers. Now, someone else recommended them. It's very, very funny. Can't go wrong with Dickens, but I, 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 to, my sh- to my eternal shame, I'm not sure I've read Pickwick, but Dickens is da bomb. <laughs> <laughs> you are street, Tim, aren't you? <laughs> I eat in it. Oh, by the way, I had a brilliant one yesterday. Um, I'm going off script here. I bought uh, this thing called the Cockney Bible. Oh, yes, I, I saw that on your tweet. I'm, I'm That's hilarious. I'm going to do a piece about it for um, Daniel Johnson at the article. How long is it? How long is it? It's only bits of the Bible, so it's only... It's about 100 pages, but it's funny. So... Jesus heals the guy with leprosy is Jesus Jesus takes care of some geezer with a dodgy Ramsgate. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ramsgate sands his hands. So Brilliant. That reminds me of um the Profanosaurus. Have you have you got a copy of that? No, Roger Melly. Roger, Roger Melly. It is well, that's, what, that's from that's from Viz, isn't it? That's from it Viz. Is. Roger Melly's Profanosaurus is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever bought. It is just hours of fun. I'll I'll read some out on the next podcast if you like. 
he's the man on the telly. Yeah, but the Profanosaurus is just it's it's just brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. I'll try and get hold of that. Yeah, it's just so funny. So funny. It's it's like you think you know bad words for different parts of the body. Beef and curtains. So, and all thanks to <laughs> But but the these these are just like Sorry, world class. They are world class. They are world class. It's just so good. Wizard sleeve. Profanosaurus. Yeah, yeah, wizard sleeve is one, which we're, we're <laughs> not going to go into that. No, you have to now. What no, no. no, 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 we can't. We can't. You can't. You can't talk about that. All right, DM me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's just like yeah, very funny. I, so, so Tim, what's? I, I guess I've given mine, I suppose. But what, what, what's, uh, what's yours, Tim? I've got two. So, uh, uh, as, as, as the world will find out. In due course, Paul and I have been working on what I can only describe as saturation coverage of the charts for the next 20 or 30 years. So we're basically going to be just flooding <laughs> the, the music charts with, with our material, um, which is work in progress. But I have high hopes for all of it. Um, and that, 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 that will be unveiled in its, 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 all its awesome power to the world in the fullness of time. But absent that, um, in, in, on a related note, I've, I've got into um, uh, a song. I reckon that I reckon Paul will know it. Sean may know it. Smash Mouth, Walking on the Sun. Yeah. Which is just awesome. Yes. It's just awesome. And uh, do you know the video to this, Paul? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Remind me. Uh, very happy-go-lucky, very poppy, bouncy, upbeat. Uh, flooded with color, sunny color. Um, I think, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound really anal, but I think I detect an element of a film called Carnival of the Souls in the video for Smash, sorry, Smash Mouse Walking on the Sun, because it involves a drag race in which everybody dies. That sounds a bit negative, but it's it's all done in in a, in a comedy, happy, up, upbeat way. Fifty six million views. On... It can't be wrong. Fifty-six million people can't be wrong. It's a it's a cracking track, but the video is a cracker too. So that's a, that's like a sort of a video recommendation in terms of a film. Um, and I will struggle to retain my um, uh, whatever the phrase is. Um, a film called Take Shelter, which I may have recommended before, but I think I was is that watching it. Michael up. Shannon, is it? It is Michael Shannon, and it's Jeff Nichols who wrote and directed. Um, I apologize if my emotions get uh, ahead of me. It's just overwhelmingly uh, heartbreaking. Take shelter. Where, where, what's, what's that about? The premise is that you've got a, a blue collar guy played by Michael Shannon, who I think is perhaps the finest actor working in America today, um, who is, is, is literally just a blue collar work. He works on like an oil drilling, uh, uh, like a, an onshore uh, oil drilling rig um in some southern state and he gets over over to he's got a handicapped daughter his daughter's deaf or temporarily uh, deaf. yeah um, and he's uh over he starts becoming overwhelmed by nightmares um about this portents of, of of approaching doom and he he checks himself in and says he's, he worries about his mental health 
the the film was apparently made when when Jeff Nichols, the direct writer director, wrote it. He wrote it apparently in two thousand eight. So it was, it was written during the the global finan- the the first global financial crisis, um, and then things just continue to sort of expand out. It's it's heartbreakingly um, emotional for me, at least. And um, if it was relevant in 2011, it's even more relevant today. So it's a Take Shelter by Jeff Nichols. If if we were allowed to hug you, we would. Thank you. That's um, yeah. It's I think I've seen it actually, Tim. It is a it's a good recommendation, and um, yeah, thanks for that. So. Um, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute roller coaster ride. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope it. I hope it. It didn't um, disappoint, Sean, because I know you had reti- some reticence about uh, engaging. No, I didn't. I just wanted to make sure I didn't disappoint you guys because I'm not a financial guy, am I? Everyone, everyone's a financial guy. The the beauty of, of this whole game is that we're going back to film because that's i suppose this in, in some weird ways i kind of feel like it's home territory probably because i've been watching films longer than i've been involved in financial markets and it's um uh william goldman's uh ventures in the screen trade ventures in the screen trade thank you which is uh, starts with no, nobody knows anything yes so actually any any individual person's perspective on the markets is just as valid as anybody else's that's a brilliant I've way of putting it i've had a fantastic time well, been thank brilliant. you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Sean. If people want to know more about you, Sean, or want to follow you, or or read, uh, catch up, how do they do that? Twitter, well, LinkedIn, whatever. Yeah, I'm 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 doing uh, the Samistat magazine with Ronan. Oh right, how cool! Uh, I'm associate editor on that. We're trying to get that going. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, and I write for various places. And uh, critic, capex, few other ones. Fantastic. Well, if you send us some links, I'll um, I'll put them up in the show notes. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for for, for, for being with us. So it's really we've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Okay, take care, guys. Take care. All the best. All Enjoy the best. evening. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.